0: Isn't that a beautiful song? Amen. Let's stand together for the reading of a, of a couple of verses out of the book of Esther. I want to continue talking to you today about providence. I am convinced that providence has been a lost truth on the church. You don't hear a lot of messages on providence, and I believe a lack of understanding of providence is why many believers walk away from God, walk away from church, because they don't understand how to trust the providence of God, nor how to give God time to work things out. So let's read, jumping right in the middle of the book of Esther, one of the most familiar verses. Uh, this is her Esther's Uncle Mordecai speaking to Esther, and I'll give you the context as I go through the message. But it's a great statement from him. For if you remain completely silent at this time, Esther, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house Will perish. And then he says, Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this, destiny is all over that statement. So let's look at this now and let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the truth of providence that you're in charge. And I pray for a supernatural revelation. Uh, Lord, a Holy Spirit illumination to be on the hearts and the lives of everyone here today and everyone listening by radio. That, Lord, you will help us to understand the greatness, the awesome power of our God. In Jesus' name, amen. Look at your neighbor and say, this is for you today. You better perk up and listen. You're going to need it. And I going to ask that there be as little movement as possible during the message because, you know, and I know sometimes we have to get up, but unless it's a gotta do, then uh, just try to remain seated because, you know, people's lives are changed by the Word of God. And we need to have uh, full attention on it because this, I'm convinced, is a truth that has been lost on the church. You could probably go to 30 different churches today and not hear very much at all on the subject of providence. But what is providence? Well, I put a new definition up here, shaking it up a little bit from week to week so that you will be able to write it down and eventually to get from our heads to our hearts. But here's providence. Providence is the preservation, the care, and the government which God exercises over all things that he created. Why? So that he can bring about his ultimate plan. Providence is an unstoppable, irrefutable force. Satan doesn't stop providence. Man doesn't stop providence, as we're about to see. God's providence is something that's going to happen no matter what, and history is going to end at his feet. And so, let's look at it a minute. Sometimes we say that something happened by accident. But you know, a lot of times what we call something that was accidental is actually the providence of God at work. Now, I'm not saying everything, but a lot of times it's providence, and we just didn't see it. We talk about coincidences, and some people believe in coincidence. Well, that was a real coincidence, they say. But here's what I think a coincidence is. It's a miracle for which God chooses to remain anonymous. Think about that, particularly in the lives of his children. So as believers, we don't believe in coincidence. We believe in providence. All right? We could call providence God's stealth program for working out his plan. Providence is what God does behind the scenes that we're not aware of. God's hand is moving right now, and guess what? For the most part, we are totally unaware of it. That's why Paul said... We see through a glass darkly on our very best day. We're very unaware of much of what God is doing in the world. God is moving. God's actions are taking place right now. And let me encourage you today that His providence is moving on your behalf in ways you can't see. God's got some things cooking in His oven you don't know anything about. And His providence is at work on our behalf. He's moving under the radar. His providence is imperceptible, uh, usually unseen or perceived by the eyes of man. His providence is redemptive every time. He makes all things work together for the good, for those who love God and are the called according to His purpose. When you're a child of God, His providence is always redemptive. And it's also progressive. And I think really one of my main For us in this series now, the third week on providence is this, that circumstances cannot be and should not be understood or interpreted until God is through with them. You got to give God's providence time. You say, well, God's late. No, he's not late. You're just in a hurry. You know, God says, My ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts are higher than yours. You know what that means? There's going to be a conflict between our timing and His, our way and His, our designs and His. Sometimes when God doesn't answer prayer, He did us a huge favor because He's got something better than what we were asking for. You've got to give Providence time to work. Can you say with me, give providence time? Well, that was about 10 of you. Let's try that again. You got to give providence time. Oh, yeah. You got to sit back and say, Lord, I don't understand what's going on. These circumstances don't jive with my understanding. But I'm going to give you time because I know that God is good. Life's not fair, but God is good. And so I'm going to give the goodness of God, the providence of God, time. Now, in the book of Esther, Esther probably reveals the providence of God at work more dynamically than almost any book in the Bible. The book of Esther takes place during the days of Xerxes, the king of Persia. It's during the time when the children of Israel have been released from their Babylonian captivity. They are going back to their homeland. They have rebuilt the temple and they're rebuilding the wall. They have just been delivered after 70 years of slavery and banishment from their homeland. This is a high time for the people of Israel. And yet it's at this very time that the enemy hatches a plan that is diabolical and sinister and deadly. He actually releases a plan to exterminate all the Jewish race. It is a genocidal plan. But as we're going to see in this book, the providence of God goes to work at the very beginning of the book, and the providence of God eventually delivers his people completely and totally. Now, the story of Esther opens up with a great big frat party, a great big party. Xerxes, the king of Persia, is returning home after conquering all of Asia. To celebrate, he throws the party of all parties, mother of parties, This party lasts for 104 days. Can everybody say that's a party? (laughs) 104 days. That's three months and some change. They partied. Well, eventually they got drunk and Xerxes got drunk and nothing good ever happens when you're drunk. Everybody hear me? Oh, he's about to go off into that. No, I'm not. Enough said. But as drunk people do, his morals and his decision-making went right out the window. He calls for his wife, who is named Vashti. And he says, Vashti, you're very beautiful. I want you to dance in front of all of my guests. He was showing her off to the men, making an exhibition out of her. Queen Vashti, to her credit, honorably, refuses to be made a spectacle of, and the king becomes very angry. This, this woman, a good woman, a moral woman, Said, no, no, you're drunk and everybody here is drunk. If you think that I'm going to do that, you don't understand. I've got some righteousness and some morals in me. So you're not going to make a spectacle out of me. She stood for what was right. And I want you to notice as we go through this story. Because she stood for what was right, she got fired. The king said, you're no longer my queen. I'll go find somebody else. And she stepped down. But I want you to notice she didn't take a stand for what was right for nothing. Nothing. And you never do. You may not see the results for standing for what is right immediately. But the book of Esther shows us that because she stood for what was right and got fired and lost her position of royalty, it opened the door for Esther to come in under the providence of God. So always do what is right. Make the right decision and let the chips fall. Well, she, he removed her as queen And the king held a beauty contest. Over a hundred women paraded before him in his very own Miss Universe contest looking for the next queen. And as they all go walking by, the Bible says that his eyes fall on a young Jewish girl named Esther. And the Bible says the king loved Esther more than all the other women. And she obtained grace and favor in his sight. Whenever you hear the words grace and favor, you know that providence is afoot. She found grace and favor in his sight by the providence of God more than all the virgins. So he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen in the place of Vashti. Now after Esther had become queen, Uncle Mordecai is standing outside of the king's gate and he hears something. He hears that there is a plot on the part of two of the servants of the king to assassinate him. He blows the whistle and he makes the dirty deed known. And they get busted. And the king's life is saved. And when the king's life is saved, they write it down in what's called the Chronicles. And the Chronicles are basically the king's record book of his reign, it's his diary. They write it down, that a guy named Mordecai uh, blew the whistle on two guys that were going to assassinate him. His name was put down there, and it goes into the Eternal Chronicles. Now, in the meantime, Satan is hatching his plan. He's hatching his plan through a vile man, a vile villain named Haman. And this man named Haman is put into a very high position in the Persian government, and Haman is really a case. He's a stereotypical corporate ladder climbing, narcissistic, egomaniacal self promoter with a dark side that is stunning. It's capable of terrible atrocities. Haman's dark side, as we're going to see beneath the smiling veneer of Haman, was the first history or the first Hitler to ever step into history. With a motive to wipe out the entire Jewish race. The king promotes this despicable man to a high position. Makes a decree that just makes Haman's day. The the apex of his career. He said, when you see Haman coming, I want everybody in the kingdom to bow down and pay homage to him. But Haman had a thorn in his side. Because every time that Haman came walking out of the, uh, uh, of, of the gate of the king, there stood Mordecai, Esther's uncle, and he refused to bow. He refused to smile. He refused to say what a great day it is. He just looked at him because he had his number. He said, I know you, Haman. You are a self-supporting, self-promoting, egotistical, sociopathic, psychopathic, dangerous man and the king didn't have any discernment when he set you in so he refused to bow well Haman has such a super ego such a bloated ego he could not take even though the entire kingdom 99.9 percent of the kingdom was bowing and paying homage to him he could not take that one would not do it what an ego what an egotist know anybody this way i know a few i think there's a few in government I'm going to leave that alone. (laughs) Now, Haman starts going, Something's got to be done about this guy. He's the only one that won't bow to me. This isn't right. I got to take care of this. So he hatches a scheme. And his scheme doesn't just come from his conniving evil mind. It comes from the pit of hell. Here's the scheme. He goes to the king with a wicked lie, and he tells the king this. Then Haman said to king Xerxes, There is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people, In all the provinces of your kingdom, their laws are different from all other people's and they do not keep the king's laws. They are lawless. They are anti-king. They are a problem to you, King Xerxes. Therefore, he acts like he cares about this for the king's sake. Therefore, it's not fitting for the king to let them remain. If it pleases the king, let a decree be written that they be destroyed. Think about the ego. Think about the evil of this man. You don't bow and pay homage to my giant ego, my super self. So I'm going to see to it that not just you, but all your people are murdered, destroyed, wiped out. He's talking about a Jewish genocide. Just like Adolf Hitler. He's Hitler-like. And as we speak, anti-Semitism is rearing its ugly head in this world again not just in the Middle East, but in America and throughout the West. Anti-Semitism is finding fresh ground. And I want to tell you something, as we're about to see in this story, if you set yourself against God's people, not because they're perfect, but because God has said, they're my people, and that's my land. And if you set yourself against it, the Bible says, he that rolls a stone, it's going to return back upon his own head. You cannot attack the apple of God's eye and get away with it. And this Haman thinks he's going to do it, and people in our day think they're going to do it. And for a while, it looks like they might win, but they won't. The king, unfortunately, doesn't seem to be a very discerning individual. He believes Haman's lie and signs a decree calling for the genocide of the Jewish people. Every one of them, men, women, children, infants, grandparents, all of them. And this was the worst of news because as we have probably heard in our day, uh, when the Persians passed a law, they could not revoke it. So soon news of this decree was proclaimed throughout the land. It says, then the decree was written according to all that Haman commanded and sealed with the king's signet ring, which made it official. And the letters." were sent by couriers into all the king's provinces, listen to this, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all the Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day, and to plunder their possessions. There was going to be a slaughter the likes of which had never been seen in Persia. It would have been a bloodbath. It would have been a nightmare. But Haman manipulated the king into signing this decree. News of the evil of this decree produced incredible mourning among the Jewish people. The Bible says in chapter 4, the first three verses of Esther, when Mordecai learned all that had happened, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes. He knew Haman did it because I wouldn't bow to him. And he went out into the midst of the city, this Mordecai did. He cried with a loud and a bitter cry. He went as far as the front of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. He got right in front of the king's gate. And in every province where the king's command and decree arrived, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing in the streets. And many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Moms held their little children and looked at them, knowing that unless something happened that was absolutely miraculous, these children and they were doomed. As Act 1 of the story of Esther closes, consider with me a moment what this decree, this evil edict, and this Genocide of the Jewish people would have meant. It would have meant that all the promises of Abraham would have become void. God had told Abraham, through you and your descendants, the Jewish people, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. It would have been voided out. The Jews would not have become the source of blessing to all the nations of the world, which has happened through Jesus Christ. The Messiah, Christ Jesus, would have had no lineage on Mary's side through which to be born because there would have been no Mary. Think about the heinousness of this. God's plan of redemption, the bruising of Satan's head, the sacrifices for our sins would have been forever sabotaged. We wouldn't be here today. We wouldn't be forgiven. This was not just an egotist, angry that he's not being bowed to. This was a satanic plan hatched through the mind of a totally uncrucified man walking in the flesh an attempt to absolutely stop God's plan of redemption in its tracks. Because your Bible and my Bible came from the Jewish people. Salvation came from a Jew. Can I tell you today? Salvation came from an olive-skinned Jew who had worked with his hands all of his life. He was tough. He was rough. He was sunbaked. He was not like this long, blonde-haired, bearded, blue-eyed, Gentile-looking hippie in sandals walking around saying good things. No, Jesus was tough. Jesus made a whip, uh, made a whip, uh, a cat of nine tails and walked into the temple and, and whipped them out of there who were abusing the house of God. And they all fled and nobody stood up to him. My Jesus was a man. He was a man of God and God's man. He was the Son of God. And because of the Jewish people, we've got this Bible and redemption is of the Jew. Salvation is of the Jew. Thank God for the Jewish people. Thank God for a Jewish Messiah. Well, when Mordecai caught word of this, of course, you can imagine, he quickly contacted his niece, Esther, compelled her to intercede. And I want you to keep in mind, the king apparently, I'm not real impressed with this king's IQ. (laughs) Because he hired Haman, didn't check out his character, obviously, at all. He believed everything this liar said to him, and then he didn't seem to be aware that his new queen was Jewish, and what he signed secured her execution. You kind of want to go help the guy and grab him and say, Hey. But you know, a lot of times they were in there by blood, not by choice. So there he is, and he this guy's just clueless. Mordecai's words to Esther are strong. Mordecai said to Esther, don't think in your heart that you're going to escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. He said, if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise from the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. There comes a time, church, when we cannot be silent anymore. He said, he said, Esther, if you think staying silent is going to save you, if not putting your head out there on the chopping block, and you, you think by remaining anonymous, you're going to avoid this genocide. Esther, it's going to come to you anyway. There comes a time, my niece Esther, comes a time when you're going to have to speak up, stand up, and, and do something. And church, are we not there today? Can I tell you that it's time for the church to say to itself, I cannot remain silent at a time like this when secular humanism is galloping across the country, when our children are being corrupted in their schools, when lawlessness is reigning, when every evil, vile thing is being promoted while the righteous are being persecuted, it's time for the church to put on Jesus and stand up and speak up and say what He has told us to say. Because if we remain silent thinking we're going to escape it'll fall on us as well. And I want to say I love pastors. I love churches. I love the people of God. I love the men that are standing behind the pulpit. And let me say to you pastors who might be listening by radio, Sir, stand up and preach the Word of God. Don't hold back. Don't compromise. The people want to hear the truth. You can't dilute or pollute. You can't water down the Word of God anymore because as you do that, we are further losing the battle. Our strength is in the Word of God. Our strength is in the blood. It's in the cross. It's in Jesus. It's in Christ. It's in the only way. It's in salvation through Him. Don't be intimidated by political correctness, but stand up and be counted. So, then he gave her these immortal words. Who knows whether you have come to the kingdom, Esther, for such a time as this. Who knows but what you are, God's answer, God's key, God's kingpin to step in and do something about this. Esther explains to Mordecai that, hey, I can't get into the king's audience without risking my life because you've got to wait for him to summon you. And then she said, but if I perish, I perish. Oh, I love that. There comes a time when you've got to decide, is this worth dying for Is this worth losing something for, for the short term? If I perish, I perish. I'm not worried about my own life. The truth that I'm standing for, the Word that I'm standing for, the God that I'm standing for, the cause that I'm standing for is worth putting my life in jeopardy. And this this young lady, she had a spine. And so she goes into the presence of the king. And the Bible says that, she heard music to her ears. He looked at her and said, what do you wish, Queen Esther? What is your request? It'll be given to you up to half the kingdom. Can you say with me favor? Half the kingdom. Talk about favor. He didn't say, what are you doing coming into my presence? when I didn't summon you. He said, it says, he looked at her and said, what do you want? You just tell me what you want up to half the kingdom, the favor of God, the providence of God was already working. She tells the king, she said, well, here's what I want. I want a banquet. I want to have a banquet. And here's who I want to be there. I want you and I want myself and I want Haman to be there. Well, he says, that's all you want right now? Sure. And so he grants her the petition and they have the banquet. And while they're sitting at the banquet, the king is perplexed because he said, I'll give you what you want, up to half the kingdom. So he says to her the very same words again. What is your petition, Esther? It'll be granted to you. What is your request? Up to half the kingdom, it shall be done. Esther says, well, here's what I want. I want a second banquet. That's all that I want. And I want you and me and Haman. Haman is thinking he has arrived. He's going, can you believe the promotion I'm experiencing? His already bloated ego was now the size of a weather balloon. And he's going, I, I just can't believe the, 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 the favor, the promotion, the success of my devious schemes the way they're coming to pass. He's totally oblivious to what's going on. He runs home and brags to his wife and his friends about all the incredible promotion he's experiencing But there's still one thing eating at him. You know what it is. When he walked out of the door, walked past the king's gate, there stood Mordecai. Mordecai, now, Mordecai, standing at the king's gate, he knows that the plan that has been hatched and that Haman was the culprit. And you know, you know, people in our day, the way they have no spine, would have stood there at the gate and said, oh, you know, Haman, I'm sorry, I'm bowed. Let me triple bow. Let me quadruple bow. Let me see if I can get you to reverse this. But no, this man, this Mordecai, who stood for the truth, stood there and once again watched him walk by without doing one thing. He goes home and he says to his wife and his friends, Boy, I'll tell you, God's moving. Well, not God's moving, but my, my plans are coming to pass. And boy, am I being successful and this is really something. But that, that Mordecai, he's still a thorn in my side. His wife, feeling like, well, we got the world by the tail now, She gave him terrible advice. It says, Then his wife and all of his friends said to him, Here's what you do. Let a hangman gallows be made, 75 feet tall. And in the morning suggest to the king that Mordecai be hanged on it. Then go merrily with the king to the banquet. And the thing pleased Haman. So he had the gallows made. And don't you know that everybody saw a 75-foot gallows going up? And you know that Mordecai saw that gallows. And he had a bad feeling about what he saw. He knew this man was evil. And I want to show you that things at this point in the story could not have looked worse for the Jewish people. Here they are. There's an edict already signed and stamped by the king's signet ring. That they would all be obliterated, wiped out in genocide on a certain day. And now Mordecai... The one who would not bow, who made Haman mad in the first place. There's a gallows built for him. It looks from every turn like they're losing. And sometimes in your life and mine, it looks like the enemy is winning the day. It looks like the enemy's winning. You look around, you go, well, this isn't going right, and that's not going right. And where's God in this, and where's God in that, and where's God here, and where's God over there? It just seems to me that everywhere I look, the enemy seems to be winning the day. But here's the truth of providence. Providence was moving on cat's feet behind the scenes, silently, setting up his people to win. Do you know that you've been set up? I said, you've been set up. Oh, I know, Pastor, the devil set me up. No, no, no. Can I tell you, God has set you up. You you are the recipient of a setup. You've been set up in a good way. See, God is working on your behalf. He's going to make everything work together for the good, no matter what the enemy does to your life. Man is not going to win. The devil is not going to win. Circumstances that seem to be against you are not going to win because the God of providence is working behind the scenes to work it all together for your good. If God be for us, who can be against us? You say, I just don't see it, Pastor Jeff. Neither did the Jews. That night, providence began to move. It just so happened the king couldn't sleep. Now remember, the gallows are built. Remember, Haman's coming in the next morning to say to the king, would you let me hang Mordecai? Because he's done this and this and this and this. He knew he'd already gotten all the Jewish people to be exterminated. What's what's one more? He felt he had infinite favor with the king. So it's only hours away before Haman comes walking in with this horrible request, and the king It just so happens, can't sleep. And so it just so happened that he had an idea. Well, I'll just have my servant come in and read to me the chronicles. And it just so happened that the servant went through all these chronicles. Well, I'll just read to him about this time. This guy named Mordecai blew the whistle and saved the king's life. And it just so happened the king, after hearing this story, said, Have we ever done anything for this Mordecai ever? And the servant said, no, we've never done anything. Never rewarded him at all. Just kind of moved on down the road. And it just so happened that about that time, Haman came walking in when these things were fresh on the king's mind. And the king said to him, Haman, what should I do to honor a man who truly pleases me? Well, Haman is, he's thinking, hallelujah. Now I know uh, He's thinking he's got to be thinking of me. As a matter of fact, the Bible says he said to himself, whom would the king wish to honor more than me? So he thinks fast. This is all going to be for me, so I better make it good. So he replied, if the king wishes to honor somebody, he should bring out one of the king's own royal robes, put a royal robe on him, as well as a horse that the king himself has ridden, one with a royal emblem on its head. He said, I want a car I want a Porsche and I want the Porsche logo right on the front. Let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials and let him see that the man whom the king wishes to honor is dressed in the king's robes and led through the city square on the king's horse and have the officials shout as they go. This is what the king does for someone he wants to honor. And Mordecai's thinking, here I come. And here comes the shocker. The king said to Haman, Hurry, take the robe and the horse as you have suggested and do so for Mordecai the Jew. Leave nothing undone of all that you have spoken. Don't you know that the room began to spin? Don't you know that his stomach went into a major knot? Don't you know that his heart began to pound and inside he was going, no. But providence was at work in the midnight hour, in the darkest moment of the whole experience providence now begins to turn the table total humiliation reeling from all of this Haman hardly had time to get his wits together when he hears an announcement it's time for the second banquet he's got to go in and put on a straight face and sit down while inside he is sick to death but this was not the second banquet this was his last supper Because things go badly for Haman very quickly. Esther reveals Haman's plot. She stands up at this banquet. Here sits the king. There sits Haman already feeling very bad. Here's Esther. She stands up and she says, My people and I have been sold to those who would kill, slaughter, and annihilate us. The king, again, his IQ, I wonder. He says, Really? The king answered and said to Queen Esther, this guy's memory. He says, who is he and where is he? Who would dare presume in his heart to do such a thing? And Esther pointed right at trembling Haman and said, the adversary and the enemy is this wicked Haman. So Haman was terrified. His face went white. And then it just so happened one of the servants looked out the window and saw the gallows and said, one of the king's servants said, look The gallows 75 feet high, which Haman made for Mordecai. Then the king said, hang him on it. So they hang Haman on the very gallows he had prepared for Mordecai. Striking while the iron is hot, Esther sees the opportunity falls on her face and pleads to the king, let it be written, O king, to revoke the letters devised by Haman, which he wrote to annihilate the Jews who are in all the king's provinces. For how can I, king, endure to see the evil that will come to my people? Or how can I endure to see the destruction of my countrymen? And on the spot, the king grants the Jews the authority to resist their enemies. The genocidal edict is null and voided and the Jews are saved in an hour's time. Can you say it with me, providence. providence? Providence. Don't ever doubt the moving of Providence in your life. You may have to sit and watch for a while while it seems like the wicked are being promoted. You may have to sit by and watch and and wonder how in the world this person or that person is being allowed to do what they do. But I tell you, though the wheels of providence move slowly, they do move indeed. And the wheel of providence will move. And God has decreed and it will not be stopped or hindered by any force in the universe that he's going to make everything work together for your good. Thus says providence. Mordecai, I love this, the formerly persecuted and hated by Haman, the target of all of his vitriol, went out from the presence of the king in the very thing that Haman wanted. Royal apparel of blue and white, a great crown of gold on his head, garment of fine linen and purple. He went out in everything that that Haman had ordered. And the Jewish people whose doom had seemed imminent, the Bible says they had light, they had gladness, they had joy, they had honor, they had feast, and they had a holiday. And the Feast of Purim that the Jews celebrate to this day came from this event. Now, two quick observations. One, remember, I'm going to repeat it over and over again so that we can grow here. God is at work in our life, even when we can't see it. Most of the time, you don't see what God is up to. But God's at work in your life. He's ordering divine encounters. If you're seeking him, if you're not living in sin, if you're there and saying, Lord, here I am, as much as I know to be right with you, I'm right. And I'm asking you to take this situation into your hands. He hears it and providence goes to work. I like how Matthew Henry put it. The name of God is not mentioned anywhere in Esther, not even once do you hear the name God. But the finger of God is everywhere directing specific events for the bringing about of his people's deliverance. Esther just happened to be chosen as queen over a hundred plus other possibilities. Mordecai just happened to discover the plot to kill the king. The king just happened to get insomnia the night. Mordecai's deed of kindness was brought to light. Why couldn't the king sleep? He just happened to decide to request the chronicles be read, and the servant just happened to pick the section that dealt with Mordecai. Haman just happened to come walking in while Mordecai's good deed was fresh on the king's mind. The king just happened to enthusiastically welcome Esther into his presence after ignoring her for a month. Nope. No just so happened. No coincidence. Providence. Second thing, I'm going to close with this. Esther's story shows us the power of one. Power of one. The whole nation of Jews, Abraham's descendants, all there in Persia, had a death sentence on them. But one woman, called for a fast, stepped in the gap, interceded before the King. Picture of you and I going before King Jesus and interceding in prayer. And because of her intercession and her willingness to risk her life to step in there for the truth and to do the right thing, an entire nation was delivered. The power of one. You say, what can I do, Pastor Jeff? You and God together are a force. You stand for the right like Mordecai did. You intercede like Esther did. You step in the gap and you trust God that one can change the course of history. God's hand is on you. Can you stand up with me today? And I want to pray for you if you could bow with me just for a moment of prayer first of all you're not here by mistake today but you're here for such a time as this and maybe you used to walk with the Lord very closely but you've drifted the Lord just nudged you or somehow worked it out for you to be here today you've come here for such a time as this he's already been dealing with you to get back with him tight, close, like you used to. And maybe today you've never known the joy of being born again. You've never known the joy of that new birth. You can today. God can and will touch you today, right now, in this hour. And I want to pray for you. If you'd let me, I really want to just pray for you. It would be my honor to do it. If you can say, Pastor Jeff, I used to walk closely, but I've drifted. But I still believe God's got a call on my life, and I'm here for such a time as this. Or, Pastor Jeff, I'd really like to know deep down that I'm God's child, that I've been saved, washed in His blood, raised from the spiritual dead, and that I'm walking in His destiny for me If you're in either one of those two categories with our heads bowed would you please if you're in either one of those would you just raise your hand and say pastor jeff that's me and i'll let you pray for me today real high let me see you where you are god bless you and you many of you many many i want you to do something I want you to slip out from where you are and just come and stand in front of me right here. Forget about everybody in this sanctuary. All that matters now is you and God. And as soon as you move, that's a step of faith. And God's going to answer you right where you are. If you raise your hand, come now, and I'm going to wait for you. We're going to wait, and we're going to believe God to touch you and to change your life. Keep on coming. There they are. Keep coming. I'm just going to wait on him. Come now and settle it. Walk out of the building with peace in your heart. Walk out of the building with peace in your heart. You're here for such a time as this today. And in closing... I want to pray for people who are searching for a church home. You know, it's so important that you get where God wants you to be. I so believe in the local church and that the Holy Spirit places people in local churches and says, "This is where I want you to be planted. This is where I want you to grow. This is where I want you to exercise your gift. This is where I, this is your church family. This is where I want you to pray. This is where I want you to be to be fed." Well, Pastor Jeff, how do I know if it's mine or not? Well, you may not know. I just want to pray that God leads you and guides you to the church he wants you to be in. But I really believe you feel at home. You have a peace. You're fed. You feel like it's your place. That's how the Lord lets us know. So if you need a church, if you're praying for a church home, would you lift your hands and let me see right now if you are? Put them up real high. God bless you all over this place can I ask you all to come down I I did this in the first service I didn't plan on it but I felt impressed to do it and I want to do it today better that God moves soon than later we don't need to drift long we need to get planted so I'm going to ask you to come down and let me pray for you there we go keep on coming thank you Lord Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And we're going to believe God. You know, we're averaging on a Sunday 50 to 60 visitors or guests on a Sunday. People are searching, people are looking. We want to pray for them. Amen. I want to pray first for those of you who have come down to get right. Pray this with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe in my heart. You were raised from the dead. And I confess with my mouth that you are the Lord. Jesus, come into my heart. I turn my life over to you to walk with you in discipleship the rest of my days. Thank you for your forgiveness, Lord. And Lord, I pray for these precious people looking for a church home. That you will settle them, root them, ground them, lead them, guide them. That, Lord, you will show them where you want them to be and plant them there. You Lord, you said you would. And I trust you, Lord, to hear their prayer. And I agree with them that they'll be planted in the house of the Lord, flourishing in the courts of God. In Jesus' name, amen.